Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK Magazine and JCK Online. Today, JCK's Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski will talk about the coronavirus, gold price, and fashion weeks. They'll also cover a weird jewelry story of the week. Hi, everyone. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and JCK Online. Welcome to The Jewelry District. I'm here with... Rob Bates, news director of JCK and JCK Online, and I'm here in uh, New York City. Yes, and I should say I'm technically not with Rob. I'm on the phone with Rob because I'm calling in from L.A. As as most people are doing these days, we're, well, I wasn't planning to be in New York this week, but I might have reconsidered just because, you know, why travel unnecessarily these days? I mean, everybody's talking about COVID-19 um, caused by this novel coronavirus and I think we should preface that anything we say may be out of date by the time our listeners are hearing us talk about it because yeah. news is changing so rapidly. What, um, I guess, Rob, tell me what your take is there in New York and what you're seeing. I know Emily Vesselin, our senior editor, just wrote a story about malls getting ready to sort of brace for an impact of fewer, fewer consumers because people are a little bit freaked out about going to enclosed spaces. Are you uh, reading anything else in terms of the impact of this crazy, strange virus? Uh, no, not yet. I mean, you know, you definitely see it on the subway. Um, there's like so much Purell in the office. Like everywhere you go, there's like Purell. You feel like you're in a hospital now that, you know, that everywhere they're getting you to, uh, wash your hands, which is good. Everyone should be washing their hands. I know I've done it about a hundred times today already and probably do it a lot more today. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at some of the statistics that Emily uh, put up today, 48% of U.S. Consumers say they're likely to avoid public areas like shopping centers if the virus outbreaks works in the United States. But this was interesting. Over one quarter of respondents say they're already avoiding public spaces or have changed travel plans. And I think I think a lot of people have changed travel plans already. I mean, travel plans to Europe or to Japan or South Korea, are we thinking? Or are people changing travel plans just anywhere? Like, are you hearing that people are just canceling all travel no matter where it is? Well, I mean, certainly, obviously, if you were planning to go to Basel or SAHH, those plans are canceled. The You know, I just two weeks ago went to Germany and it was a, aside from them asking me if I'd been to China, you know, it was a pretty normal trip. So. Uh, we'll see. You know, it, it seems that the anxiety about this seems to have amped up a lot in the last week. And obviously, it's, it's extremely scary. And, it's, you know, it's having an interesting effect on the diamond business because, you know, people were feeling a lot more upbeat in January after the, that horrible, horrible year they had last year. And now all of a sudden it gets hit by this. And it's kind of like all the well-laid, well-thought-out recovery plans are, are probably going to take a hit. And certainly because, you know, the Chinese market is pretty much dead right now. From everything we understand, there's nobody in the streets. And one sector that I guess could benefit from this is the lab-grown diamond sector in a weird way, since one of the biggest issues in that sector is the fact that they had all this cheap product being manufactured from China. Well, now that stuff's not coming out, so that means there's going to be less supply and probably uh, stabilized prices to some extent. That's interesting. I I hadn't thought of that as, as an interesting consequence. I mean, I, I feel like all the consequences of this will 
take quite a while to really make themselves apparent. I I think we'll be dealing with the after effects of this for years. I feel like this is going to have a long-term impact in terms of just our psychology and how as consumers we, you know, not everybody thinks the exact same way. I think there's a lot of fear and panic, but also a lot of people are taking it somewhat in stride. I mean, I'm here in LA and you don't really see masks being, you know, worn out on the street. I'm not sure. Are you seeing people wearing masks on the subway in New York? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not, not like, it's not like half the people wearing masks, but people are wearing masks. I saw one this morning. And speaking, I mean, the, 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 the major impact on this uh, right now is the two cancellations of the two fairs, Basel World and SAHH, both canceled. And that's, you know, even if this thing clears up tomorrow, those things are off for the year. Well, you know, what's interesting is I literally this morning got an email from several brands, Bulgari being one of them, Ulysse Nardin being another, saying that there's an event taking place the same exact time now as Watches and Wonders would have taken place April 26th to 29th. They've named it Geneva Watch Days, and it looks like it's going to be Breitling's going to be there. They've named a few other brands, Breitling, Bulgari, Ulysse Nardin, Gerard Perigo, and MBNF. So it seems like a few brands are kind of coalescing and deciding, hey, you know what? But Geneva's still in relatively good shape and we're pretty optimistic. So we're going to go forward with an event in late April that would have, you know, that takes over what Watches and Wonders would have been. So I, I find there's kind of conflicting messages. We're hearing both, well, cancellations and kind of a negative vibe. And then we're hearing people say, wait a minute, hold up. We're still, we're still going to do this. Yeah. So it's fluid. Yeah, I think it's definitely highly fluid and, and people don't really know where it's going to go. I think with Basel World, what they said was there was a ban on people, more than 1,000 people, getting together in one place in Switzerland. And that's why they had to cancel it. So you're assuming that even these things that are going to take place would, by law, have to attract less than 1,000 people. So they're definitely going to be much smaller than people expect. No question. And I'm not even sure who they're trying to target, if it's buyers, if it's press, if it's a combination So we'll see. We'll see if that ends up being called off, too. I mean, there's so many questions. It just feels like a time where we can't really make any really any informed decisions yet because so much is is changing. Here's a here's a thought I had. And, you know, you know, these fairs much better than I do. So you think that, you know, trying to retool a show in a year is a lot. I mean, it's a big deal. And clearly Basel World and SIHH had issues. So in a way, obviously, they're going to be taking a huge financial hit. Nobody wants to take a huge financial hit. But could this be a blessing in disguise in that they have a lot more time to really think through and revamp these shows and work on some of these concepts? Yes. I mean, I think you're right. We'll see. I think for Basel, which to your point, just reinventing itself, there's a lot going on there. And I do think having a few more months or six more months will probably make it a stronger show. And and that lineup they'd announced just days before announcing the cancellation sounded super exciting. And I think it's a great idea to turn it into a really, you know, an education event that is compelling to all kinds of people, buyers and retailers and press. So I'll look forward to them continuing that. All we know is, yeah, that our spring calendar has been thrown into into serious disarray. Yeah, and you know, I'm reading a lot of stuff that that people can teleconference, that the the you know people buying teleconferencing stocks, but I really do think that it's so much different when you go to a trade show 
when you go to a face-to-face meeting. It just it just makes all the difference in the world. And you can teleconference and you can do all these things. And, you know, they're, they're useful to some extent, but it's really so much better when people are meeting face-to-face. I agree. I agree. And I really hope, it, you know, and what's the other impact is not only are people not meeting face-to-face, when they do meet face-to-face, they're not shaking hands. They're right. certainly not throwing kisses at each other like they do in Paris on the regular. So... But I'm not an alarmist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I have washed my hands 10 times more than I ever thought about. But I feel like I'm optimistic. I'm most hopeful that things will start to get better as the weather warms up. And until then, wash your hands. Yeah, keep calm and wash your hands. Keep calm, wash your hands, and hopefully we'll all be okay. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews is what helps make them possible. Help spread the word. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jewelry District wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now, back to the show. So the uncertainty that things like coronavirus and the international scene, uh, there's new hostilities in the Middle East as we tape this. It's spiking the gold price. The gold price is about $1,600. Citibank is standing by its prediction that it's going to hit $2,000 an ounce uh, within the next two years. If you think about it, just in 2018, the average price was just below $1,300. I think it was $1,283. This year, analysts think it's going to be at least $1,500. And that makes a big difference in jewelry manufacturing and how much people can charge and whether there's going to, you know, whether we're going to see the rebirth of the trading business, which was huge uh, for a long time. Was that like a decade ago? When was that? 2011? Yeah, like 2014, 2013. You know, I can't remember. And it, if you remember, I mean, it was at one point it was shocking to hit $1,300 gold. People couldn't believe it. $1,300 and then $1,400. And it eventually it went down and now it's on the rise again. So I can imagine, you know, if people have a lot of old gold and, you know, if you have a bunch of kids, there's always a question like, which kid do you give it to? So the easiest answer is just to trade it in and take the proceeds and divvy it up among the kids. So I think jewelers are going to start to see a little bit more of a trading business. And that's good because that's always been a, a healthy business for them. Right. It's so funny. As we're talking about this, I had a dream a couple of nights ago where I was like hoarding gold bullion. So, not a bad idea, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about Fashion Week? Yeah, I mean, of course, I, I wasn't at the European Fashion Weeks or, you know, New York Fashion Week, but we have been getting reports. I mean, of course, they've also, Milan was a, there was a lot of news about editors going to Milan and kind of worrying about being there. And despite that, people are still going, people are attending. We're seeing, in terms of trends, pearls going strong. That's not a surprise. They've been an extremely hot item for, well, kind of for years, but really ramping up over the last six months. Prabal Gurung, Moschino, all showed pearls. We're seeing a lot of fringe feathers at Tom Ford and links. Back to that good, solid gold link that will be portable wealth for some people at Alberta Ferretti and Ula Johnson and Brandon Maxwell. So links, feathers, pearls, and fringe, I think we can count on as great trends coming into the fall. So those those weeks went on, even though they were all complicated and people in Paris are probably not kissing each other anymore. Yeah, you mentioned there was less air kissing. I've read that. I've read that there, there were hand sanitizers actually passed out at some of wow. the shows. So air kissing out and hand sanitizer in. 
so the world goes on. Things things are still happening and I'm still getting invites for events. And, you know, I went to a restaurant yesterday and it was packed and I was lifted up, I guess. I enjoyed that and was happy to see that people haven't quite started staying home in droves yet. Let's all let's all support our local businesses. Yeah. I mean, what, what else can we do? On that note, on that profound, optimistic note, here is the weird story of the week. Last time I uh, took a little bit of the high road uh, due to complaints, and um, this is not a gross story, but we're we're back on the kind of uh, low road <laughs> story. I don't. <laughs> this is a story from the the National, which is a newspaper in Dubai. It says Dubai has seen its fair share of diamond encrusted accessories and gold burgers. But in a first, even for this superlative city, the amazing museum and art gallery has unveiled a diamond-encrusted toilet. <laughs> the, the toilet, introduced by Coronet Jewelry, a diamond jewelry manufacturer and a division of Aaron Shrum Jewelry of Hong Kong, is set with 4,815 diamonds, totaling 334 carats, and valued at $1.28 million. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Lovely, huh? Have you seen it? Yeah. Well, I've seen pictures of it. I have not had the pleasure of seeing it up close. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how comfortable it would be, but uh, the diamond-encrusted toilet bowl was awarded a certificate of authenticity by Guinness World Records representatives for the most number of diamonds set on a toilet bowl. I, I can't believe that's a real record. I think that the Guinness World Records have jumped the shark. Yes. I, I really do. I, I think it's time we just stop stop acknowledging. They have some really ridiculous. stupid records. Yeah. I mean, you're like, uh, there's one more. Let me just finish this article here. The idea of the diamond toilet comes from the lyrics of Andy Lau's Chinese song, Toilet, where he sings, Toilet is your friend. Do you know that song? I don't. I've never heard I, that song. I can't say I do. I mean, it. I just don't. Whatever, man. You know, apparently the current president has a gold toilet bowl in his, uh, or had in his apartment in New York City. So. Well, that was my first thought when you said it. I was like, I know someone who's going to be standing in line, and yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, He's like, well, mine's not diamond encrusted. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, well, it's a weird story of the week. What can I tell you? And we're gearing up for our next guest. We have Rudy Albers, president of Wempy Jewelers in New York City, beautiful boutique on Fifth Avenue. And we'll talk to him about his background, how he got to New York and started working at the German retailer, and also about his take on the watch world. He's definitely an expert. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Wash your hands. Keep calm and wash your hands. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.